0: your financial pharmacist. 10 out of 10 name, right? The YFP crew joins me to talk about full-time career professionals who are thinking about making the jump into real estate investing. It is a leap of faith and it's a massive balancing act, but the rewards are out there. I'm Dalton Elliott. This is the Real Estate of Things.
1: You're listening to
0: the Real Estate of Things podcast. Gentlemen, we were catching up just before I pressed record. You're like, you both have been on a million podcasts separately, but maybe this is the first one together. So thanks for joining. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. So Nate Hedrick and David Bright of Your Financial Pharmacist, uh, what an interesting uh, concept uh, for a company, for a group. Uh, absolutely love it. Give me the rundown on what your financial pharmacist is.
2: Yeah, so so YFP for short was started as a, a an answer to the question of what happens when you're a, a well-paid professional with six years of pharmacy school debt and you have no idea what to do with your finances once you graduate because you've been trained to be a pro, but you've not been trained to handle the day-to-day finances, pay your taxes, invest that money. And so YFP was started by the idea of, can we support pharmacists like that? And it was founded by our fa- our founder, Tim Ulbrich. And since then we've grown and expanded to tax services and real estate services, which is where David and I come in. Um, and it's just, it's been a whole ecosystem now of of pharmacists supporting each other to figure out life and, and finances. It's been, it's been really a cool ride.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's where I want to kick it off, right? Like, balancing i think a big hurdle uh sometimes for uh folks who are already established in their career as a professional and they have you know a good trajectory of where i'm going in you know a you know pays the bills and then some type career white collar job to pick the kind of not a crazy fan of that but that's what it is effectively uh, how do you how do you get over the initial hurdle of Uh, The balance. I feel like that's something that has to play on the mind of a lot of folks who are high performing in their normal day job. And then you look at this potential side hustle, is how it usually begins. You don't go from full time pharmacist to full time real estate investor overnight. Uh, And so, what what does that process look like? What are some of the common misconceptions, mental blocks, hurdles that uh, as you work with folks and educate them, uh, you break down.
3: Yeah, I think one of the ones I, I would jump in and start with. You mentioned this this potential from full time professional to full time real estate professional, and I think that that a lot of uh, content out there in the in this real estate space right now is talking about that kind of romantic jump into like I'm going to be a full time investor and I'm going to go for it, and and as I support that for those that want to do that, but I think that there's a lot of busy professionals out there that invested a lot into getting into their career. They love what they do, and they're looking for a more diversified financial picture. They like investing in real estate. They may not like maybe the lack of control of a REIT, or they think they can maybe do better if they go buy their own rental property, Um, but they don't necessarily want to do that full time. And I I think that's okay also. I don't think that that message... Comes out in a lot of places that it's okay to invest in real estate and to be a full time professional, and you don't have to leave your career in order to invest in real estate. And I think that's one of the things that um, I hope that pharmacists latch onto because nothing, nothing that that we do is trying to encourage people like quit pharmacy and go to no, like there you can be a pharmacist, you can be a working professional, and you can still invest in real estate. That that balance can happen.
0: Yeah, that is such a true call out. Um, And I hadn't thought about it until now that you could probably slap 99% on this. Say like 99% of real estate investing education is around start doing this with the ultimate goal of quitting your day job and being a full-time real estate investor, right? And yeah, that's a big difference.
2: Yeah, it's just, it's something that we, we spent a lot of time intentionally about when we started our podcast to say, we got to make sure that we're different and and this is how we're going to be different, right? We're not going to encourage that, that quit. Like we're going to, we're going to encourage fire. We're going to encourage people to to diversify, but it's not, the, the ultimate goal is not to get out of pharmacy or get out of your professional career. It's, it's to use this to supplement your life. So you, you can go to 20 hours a week or whatever, and then you can do both. And it's just, that's the, that's the big differentiator for us.
0: Yeah. Talking about time, right? Uh, time's valuable and all the more valuable. Uh, the more you have going on in life and a, a professional career soaks up a ton of time. Uh, property management, right? As you grow a portfolio, even even if you have one property, right? Sometimes that can be uh, time-consuming from a property management standpoint. So, you know, do you have kind of one lane of guidance or like one size fits all guidance around personally managing a property versus hey, right out of the gate. You should do third-party property management. No questions asked. What, what, uh, what message do y'all preach?
3: I think we've kind of gone, um, it, it's hard to find a one size fits all is, is kind of my take on that. I think that both options can be viable and I know Nate and I have taken divergent options so I can share kind of my story and then maybe Nate will share his, um, You know, I started out the first rental property that we had. I was like, How hard can this be? I'll figure out property management. Right. And I tried to market it and I tried to get it set. And we, we even like had some potential tenants walk through and they weren't really interested. And, and it just wasn't working out. It was like weeks and weeks of, I just didn't have enough time to dedicate to it to get someone into that property. And so I had this ballooning vacancy. Um, Instead, we interviewed a few property managers. We hired a property manager. They had one showing open house. Three people came through. Two people made an application. One was approved. Deposit moved in almost right away. And that property manager got uh, 150 bucks more a month and then charged me 130 So 150 more than I was trying to get charged 130 So I ended up making more money than I was planning on and doing a lot less work and i'm like this this is it i'm never going back why would i ever manage my own properties like this is fantastic i don't have time to do this because i am a busy pharmacist professional property management is awesome but i know that you know one size doesn't always fit all so i know nate has a kind of an opposite story there too
2: Yeah. So when I bought my first rental, I was, you know, from the beginning, I said, I'm a detail oriented, like hands in everything pharmacist. I want to be the one that handles this. Right. So the very first property I bought, it was always going in with me being the property manager. Um, And so now I have uh, all the local properties that I have, I I manage myself and the ones that are out of state, I've got property managers for. And so if I can be here, I'll do it. If, if not, I'm going to have somebody professional handle it. And what I like about that is that because I am a property manager for my own stuff, I can, figure out how to manage my property managers better, I think, because I know what I would do and I can tell them, you know, this is how I'd operate this. And if you're not doing it that way, you know, explain to me why not. And and maybe I can learn something or maybe you can learn something. And so it just, it's helped me to be a better property manager on my own rentals and and understand what those operate like, but also managing my property managers as well, which is great.
0: What are some of those uh, differences you mentioned, you know, I do it versus the way you do it as a, a PM firm. Like, what are some of those differences?
2: Yeah, I think just the way that, um, you know, when I'm asking the questions, interviewing a property manager, especially when we're setting up for the first time, you know, the questions around, okay, well, how, what's your tenant screening process like? Like, what are the things that you're looking for? Um, You know, again, when we do it for for local property management, we're writing a list ahead of time of like, these are the criteria that we're going to meet. These are the things that that have to be, uh, you know, in place. And once we have the first applicant that meets these criteria that we've established ahead of time, like, boom, that's the person we're going to put in there. And so how does that differ for a property manager? What are the things that they're looking for? Um, what do they do for for rent collection? For example, I've got some that will say, you know, again, and, and are they following the state laws? You know, hopefully if they're a professional property managers that are already doing that part, right. But, you know, are they following it or are they doing it and then kind of, you know, fluffing the end, right? I want to make sure that it's, it's, it's accurate and it's being done the way that the, the state... The state requires, and, and wherever that is, it needs to be the right way. So there are just pieces that I think once you are in it, you get a little more nuanced, and you can make sure that your property manager is doing it the same way that you'd want to be operating.
0: Makes complete sense. Makes complete sense. i um, what going down this line of you know big things whenever you're getting into real estate investing, property management's a big one. What are some of the other? You know, we talked in the beginning about you know, misconceptions, hurdles, just like big education gaps um, that you all see and, um, work to cover down on.
3: Yeah. I think one other thing, if, if you, um, you know, flip through any social media or anything out there, you see people walk into these like boarded up disgusting houses and they spend a hundred thousand dollars and make it look amazing. Right. Um, but not all real estate investing has to do that. Like, I think that in pharmacy school, I was not trained how to frame a house, how to, Install cabinets, right? Like that's that's not part of my training. I'm not good at it. I fully admit that that's something I can't do, and I'm not going to try it, right? Um, But I also don't have to go through and rehab a house by myself and bust through a wall on demo day or anything like that. Like that, I don't have to do that to be a real estate investor. Um, So I think helping people to understand that maybe you buy a house and you go in and you make sure the fire extinguisher and the smoke detectors and like all the safety things are there. And you rent it out, and it's just essentially turnkey. Like maybe that's an effective strategy for a busy professional. Um, Doesn't mean that you can't hire a team of contractors and and do major rehabs. Um, Nate and I have both done that. We we kind of think that there's some fun there in taking this property that's uninhabitable and make making it inhabitable and safe and respectable. And and there's something fun about that. But uh, you know, different different working professionals with different amounts of. Of time and skill and expertise and knowledge and, and just intention into that, um, they can find very different ways to be successful real estate investors.
2: I also think that a lot of pharmacists that we that we work with or people that we talk to struggle with the the initial hurdle, right? And I think this is this is common throughout the real estate investing space, right? Is that initial buy? It's 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 risky. It's uh, a, a clogged toilet at two o'clock in the morning, right? All these like preconceived notions come into it. And so getting them over that hurdle of this is actually pretty normal. You probably know 10 people that have an investment property somewhere. They just don't, they just don't talk about it or you've never brought it up. And so getting it, like normalizing it in that conversation so that it can be a part of their financial plan, that's been big for us too. And I think it's been really, really insightful to see people who all of a sudden they talk to, you know, Uncle Jeff and she's got five rentals and you didn't even know that. But now that you've started bringing it up, it, it, it comes out of the woodwork. So I think that's been really cool for us to, to make that more part of the mainstream financial conversation.
0: Yeah, no, you know, that I definitely see, know, and feel about the, the first property hurdle. That's a big one. And, um, market wise, like what markets have the attention of you, David, you, Nate, uh, the folks you're working with, like, what's, what are you hearing right now? What do you see in market wise?
3: Yeah. One thing that, that, uh, we were talking before we hit record and we talk with pharmacists that are in all different parts of the country and, and, um, Different pharmacists seem to latch on to different areas that excite them. And one of the things that I think is a commonality is pharmacists are inherently kind of risk averse and safety oriented. And so if there's something out there where it's like, I know that place and I can make a better informed decision about that place, like personally, I invest in the Midwest. I like Michigan, um, but that's also because I'm familiar with it. And so I I would rather, I'm not saying that Michigan is the best or the worst or anything like that, but by having greater familiarity with it, I feel like I can make better decisions than I could if I was trying to invest in Louisville or Fort Wayne or Nashville or, or anywhere else. So um, I think that one advantage, particularly if you're trying to be a full-time professional, you don't have time to investigate what's the best market and you don't just want to jump on TikTok and find the first video that says Alabama is cool, right? Like you want to, you if you want to find that local market where you have some knowledge, that can be a great way to do it to make a really intelligent decision, even in an okay market might be better than a bad decision in a great market. Yeah. I think I I
2: would echo what David's saying. I mean, I think I'm biased, right? So I live in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm actually a a licensed real estate agent here. So I invest here. I also invest out of state. um, But, but again, I, I, you know what you, know. And so if you invest in areas where you know the area or you invest in areas where you know the people and you can trust the boots on the ground, that's going to be so much better than, than like you said, going and following some advice from somebody else that says, oh, the next hot market is here, go there. So again, I really like the Midwest for the price point. When we were starting early on and bought our first property and all of a sudden our, our investment account, like our investment planned account went from, you know, X amount of dollars to zero. And we were starting over again, okay, gotta save up for the next one. So then it became clear, like we need a different strategy. We need to look at the Burr method and and being able to recycle that cash. And that Burr method is really darn hard if you're in a market where the average house is $300,000 or $400,000. And so targeting areas where that money can go a little bit further. Again, a $50,000 house or a $100,000 house that you can then burr into 100 or 200,000, that's a much different feel and it's much easier to jump in. And so that's that's where we got started and it's kind of where we stayed. I really like the Midwest for that reason.
0: Yeah, that's a great call out on the burr piece. Right? The last couple of years that has exploded. I remember uh, 20 probably been late 2015, maybe 2016. Uh so not terribly long ago. Uh, a couple of colleagues from the company and I went to Dallas to go see this project that they were talking. A client of ours was talking about, like, "Hey, we're doing this whole subdivision and we're going to rent the whole thing out." And we were like, "That sounds crazy. That sounds really risky. Like, what? What are we doing here? We literally need to jump on a plane." So it was myself, the CEO, and our like top salesperson. Uh, all got on a plane, go out to Dallas, and I remember walking around the job site. And, uh, you know, the magnitude of, gosh, you, you have to rent up almost all of these, it's a lot of units. You have a different type of risk here whenever you're doing a whole, um, subdivision of it. But that, that, all that to say the burr piece in terms of being mainstream is still relatively new and it is, uh it's trickier, right? Like we, we do at Lima one, we underwrite and we close for clients, um, Will be rehabs, rentals, new construction, multifamily, and there are similarities in underwriting and credit risk across those products, but there are a lot of differences, right? And so you're you have to you have to really be buttoned up on the short term side and the long term side, and you have double the assumptions. Uh, so it is it is tricky, and it's not you know not to say it's you know it it is a strategy that is wildly successful for so many people. Uh, but it's definitely, n- there's more to it than I'm going to flip a property or I'm plus I'm going to rent a property. You know, it's very different.
2: And like a lot of other things, it gets riskier the, the bigger the dollars, right? Because if you can't pay that back, now all of a sudden you've got a lot more that you need to be able to find. Or if that burr, if that refinance doesn't go the way you wanted it to. I mean, Dave, David and I both have, have properties where we thought the ARV was one thing, the lender thought it was something different. And that had really made it, Challenging, and again, if that difference is is big on a really big dollar amount, now all of a sudden you've got a lot to come up with. And so, if you're just starting out or you're thinking about burring and, and you want to try that method, start somewhere where that price point is lower. It's not always the case, but in that particular model, I think the risk is lower as well.
0: Yeah, very true, very true. So, all right, David Nate, your financial pharmacist. People want to learn more. Where do they go? How do they, how do they reach out?
2: Yeah. So you can reach our our main page at yourfinancialpharmacist.com. Again, we've got a sub page dedicated all toward real estate at yfprealestate.com both those are great resources. Uh, We've got a podcast with, I think, three separate channels on it. We do three weekly episodes. One is the main financial episode. We've got one about uh, ask a YFP CFP so you can learn from our certified financial planners. And then David and I are every Saturday morning uh, all about things, real estate investing. So lots of different options, lots of different resources. Uh, Definitely recommend checking those out.
0: Absolutely. A wealth of knowledge. Uh, If you're a pharmacist, it's a no brainer. If you're not a pharmacist, go check it out. Like so much information there in so many different mediums. Uh, yeah, absolutely great. Cannot thank you both for jumping on and spending some time with me. Definitely have to have you back. These episodes are always too short. Uh, David Bright, Nate Hedrick, your financial pharmacist. Thank you again, gentlemen.
2: Thanks, Dalton. Appreciate
0: it. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care.
1: Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out limaone.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.